Cashing in on content marketing. I'm Amanda Milligan, the marketing director at Fractal. And every week on the show, I interview marketing experts about the ways to know the value of your work and get buy-in for your strategies. This week, we're exploring how to make content more accessible. Joining me today is Alexa Heinrich, a social media manager and advocate for accessibility on social media. Welcome to the show, Alexa. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yes, I've seen your tweets and I've already learned a lot, but I know there's a lot that I can do to improve upon, which is why I was so excited to have you on the show because you're really good about getting some of these messages out there and tips that uh, I see happening all the time on Twitter, at least. I see a lot of these mistakes being made and I think a lot of people just don't know. So hopefully this is uh, informative for folks. So Let's start at the beginning. What are we talking about when we're referring to accessibility and marketing? Like, what are some of those major challenges that exist? So accessibility really just means making sure that everyone can access and understand the information that you put out there on the internet, on social media. I primarily talk about accessibility as it applies to content creation for social media, just because most of us know about accessibility when it comes to websites. We're very familiar with that concept, but because social media is still kind of a baby within the marketing world, most people don't really know how to go about making their content on social accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of other factors that come into play that don't typically exist uh, on normal web pages, which we'll, we'll get into. So I think one of the major things that a lot of these things have in common is the screen reader aspect of it, right? Like a lot of us who don't use screen readers might not even understand how they work or the things that could be impediments to them operating successfully, right? So can you talk a little bit about what they are and how they operate? Sure, so there are assisted devices and programs. A screen reader is an assisted device. You have text-to-speech programs, which are assistive programs. Um, They all basically make it so that someone who is blind or has a serious vision impairment can access digital content. So your your smartphone actually has a text-to-speech program built into it. It's kind of commonplace now for that technology to be easily accessible for all of us. Um, So if you tweet something and someone is using a screen reader or a text-to-speech program, it's going to pick up on that tweet and read it aloud to them or transcribe it into Braille. So really it's just one more way that someone who has a vision disability can access information that is on the web. Awesome. So let's talk about a few things that we might be doing wrong in content in general, but like you said, especially on social. And one of those things is, this is the first thing that you taught me actually was the camel case aspect of hashtags. Can you talk about what that is and why it's important? I knew you were going to say that one just because everyone always picks up on it because I talk about it every single week. (laughs) So uh, camel case is the act of capitalizing the first letter in each word in a multi-word hashtag. So if we have the hashtag social media rocks, you would be uppercasing the S in social, the M in media, and the R in rocks. Capital letters 
faces and punctuation marks help uh, screen readers and other assistive devices kind of denote separate words and phrases. So instead of trying to say a long hashtag as one long word, it's actually going to identify those capital letters and say them as individual words. So it'll say hashtag and then whatever your hashtag actually is. So it's super important, but I tweet about it every week on Wednesday, which is hump day. And we all know the kind of uh, commercial with woo woo is hump day. <laughs> so I kind of just took that over. And now every week I tweet about it. You'll sometimes see it called Pascal case or title case as well. Super easy. And you can also apply it to your Twitter handle. Yeah, that's oh, that's a good point. Do you mind sharing your Twitter handle for everybody to follow you for these types of tips too? Sure. So I'm at hashtag Hey Alexa, literally the word hashtag Hey Alexa, and it is in camel case. Otherwise, screen readers struggle with it a little bit because I have a lot of vowels in my name. So yeah, it's a great point to do that. I didn't even think about it for your actual username as well. That makes sense. Um, okay, so the other thing that comes up in social a lot are emojis, which aren't as common in normal articles that we're writing. So you have a really good video on your website that actually says, like, has the screen reader examples saying the emoji descriptions out loud. And that was very poignant for me to understand, oh, this is what people are hearing. It's not always the most clear. Uh, so talk a little bit about the issues that can come up when using emojis in, in social posts. Emojis, most people don't realize they actually have uh, meta descriptions assigned to them. They have to be unique on the back end. So they're all coded differently. Even emojis that have the variable skin tones have an extra identifier. So you could have dancing woman, but then if you change her skin tone, it could be dancing woman, light skin tone, dancing woman, dark skin tone, medium, dark skin tone. There are five skin tones. So they're very unique. And when an assistive device or program comes across an emoji in written content, it reads the emoji's description aloud. So it's very popular to do like bullet points with emojis. As aesthetically pleasing as it is, you could be making your messaging kind of confusing if the screen reader is saying an emoji before it says your written content and it doesn't apply. So that's why I always suggest when it comes to emojis, you put them at the ends of your posts and tweets just to make sure that the written content is prioritized over the emojis. Yeah, that was really interesting for me to learn too, because I was one of those people who was definitely putting, you know, with the mindset, of, I've got to make this look as snazzy and eye-catching as possible. And I saw you post that and it kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. So now you know, you could add them to the end. You also mentioned that there, what, what happens if you put like a bunch of the same or a bunch of different emojis or a bunch of the same emojis? What, what does that cause? So if you have a bunch of different ones, it's just going to say all the descriptions individually. But if you have like a block of rocket emojis, instead of reading all the individual emojis, you know, rocket saying it 26 times or something, <laughs> uh, a screen reader could possibly just say 26 rockets depending on what kind of device it is or how someone has it programmed. So that's something to think about because we've all seen, you know, the super cute emoji illustrations. They are cute, but they're not really accessible for someone who's using an assistive device. So it's mm -hmm. just always something to be aware of. I know it's very popular to do the like um, seance circle with the candle emoji. Right. Yeah. Whenever you do all the spacing, it 
it kind of makes it a little bit wonky for an assistive device. And then it's trying to read all those emojis as well. Yeah. So semi-related, let's talk about alt text because this is a, a topic that people are probably more aware of because it applies to all images, it applies to images on websites, uh, and it has had that importance on that realm, but it's also important on social. So tell us what alt text is and why it is so crucial to include. Alt text, also called alternative text, or you might see it called an image description, depending on what platform you're on is a short physical description of an image. So basically, if I were to tweet out a picture of my cat, I would write something before posting it in the uh, add alt text section on Twitter. I would write something like small black cat curled up on a blue rug, depending on what the picture is of. So I'm basically just describing the content of that image. Because if you don't do that, then when someone uses a screen reader or other assistive device, when they come across that image, they're just going to hear image, landscape, and that's it. Mm. That doesn't really add context to what they were clicking on. So alt text is really important for making images, other visuals, uh, JPEGs, GIFs, PNGs, accessible for anyone on social media. So what is your advice for writing good alt text? Because I can see people getting caught up in either not doing enough or doing way too much. First and foremost, if you're writing alt text, you're already doing better than a lot of people on the internet. Because when it comes to social media, most people don't write alt text for their images, which is mostly because they don't know about it. It's not that they're a bad person. It's just that a lot of people, including marketers, aren't really familiar with it. And the platforms themselves have kind of had to update to include that feature. So Instagram just got an alt text field a couple of years ago. It's in Twitter, you had to turn it on before last year, I think. So it's just a lack of familiarity. When it comes to writing good alt text, I really just tell people, try to accurately describe the key details of your image. You don't have to describe every single thing. You want to really focus on the details that are important to understanding your content as a whole. So how does this image complement whatever you wrote in your post or tweet? Why, why is it important? What do you need the viewer to understand? Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you, when you have images that aren't photos, if it's something like a graph or something that's a little more complex, is it better to just include that in the text rather than trying to explain everything that's happening in the image in the alt text? Or how do you go about that? I work in higher education. I get sent flyers all the time for events and initiatives and whatnot. I try really hard to avoid posting images that have what I call flattened copy. So basically JPEGs, GIFs, PNGs, if you have copy on it, you can't highlight and copy that content. It's flattened. It's turned into an object by whatever system exported it. So I try really hard to avoid that just because when you do have copy on an image or other kind of information like that, you need to include all of it in the alt text in order for someone using a screen reader to understand there is copy on this image. Um, If you can, you including it in the written part of your tweet makes it more searchable. So it's just better idea to do that. But there are so many different situations where it's kind of a post by post basis. Writing alt text is always going to be very unique to whatever 
your post is or whoever the creator is. So everyone writes alt text differently. I had to write an entire article about how to handle flattened copy because I always get questions about it. I'm like, well, it depends on the situation. Do you have a flyer? Do you have a written statement about a PR scandal? Do you have a Twitter chat question that you post? So it really just depends on what your image is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see how there's a million different cases for that that come up. I can't even imagine. Um, so before we move on, is there anything else screen reader related that is a mistake that's often made that I haven't asked about? I would just say being aware of how you format posts and tweets. So I know ASCII art is very popular. So when you use characters and punctuation marks to create uh, illustrations, those make no sense to screen readers. They are programmed to read a uh, punctuation mark, a character as it was originally defined. So it can't really tell when you have a large image made out of characters. It's just going to go line by line reading the characters. Um, just formatting in general, we see a lot of the tweets where it's like the handshake handshake tweet. Yep. If you're trying to force a tweet into looking like two columns of text, a screen reader, again, isn't going to know that. It's just going to go left to right or right to left, depending on what language you use, and normally read it. It doesn't see two columns. It sees one column with oddly formatted text and forced spaces and, and, and hard returns. Yeah, so I'm hoping this conversation at least makes people a little bit more aware when they're typing it out to think, how will this actually be read? Literally? I actually just had a really good example of the handshake tweet done accessibly in my newsletter where they created the, the meme and then they screenshot it and they made it into a branded graphic and then they wrote alt text for it. And I'm like, that's perfect because it's an image now and you just write alt text explaining what that image is. And it's now accessible for everyone and it's branded. So it looks even better. That's awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah. Cause I, I guess people might be worried about making an image, but there's the alt text option that allows you to explain it more than if you just typed it as characters, which. Right. You can do the same thing with ASCII art, just screenshot it. Plus then it doesn't get moved around if it is viewed on different platforms. Cause sometimes the formatting of those characters moves yeah. and creates different images. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's really helpful. So let's talk about images in general, because I think they're a very primary source of these issues, um, whether on social or not. We've talked about alt text. You mentioned something else about color contrast, and I've actually seen this come up with some PowerPoint presentations I've given where they want things to be as clear as possible. So can you talk a little bit about that and any other aspects of images that we should all be cognizant of? Sure. So color contrast is important for literally everyone because I know it's very trendy with some design aspects to kind of do tone on tone. That's not always very easy to read. Also, some color combinations when you have a colored text over a colored background is hard to read just because some color combinations almost look like they're vibrating. Mm. So I went to design school and we were always taught that white text on a black background is such a bad idea because it creates this visual vibration effect. So it's, it's very hard to read, especially depending on the font or how big your font is. Um, so you always want to make sure that you have good color contrast with your graphics to make sure everything is legible and easily read. 
That's really interesting. I've never heard that where it has that vibrating effect. I had no clue. Yeah, there's um there's a Adobe website. Adobe has a website for color schemes and themes and all that stuff, but they actually upgraded it to have a color contrast checker and a color blindness checker. So basically you put in, okay, this is what I want to use. I want to use these five colors. And it'll tell you if any of the color pairings don't work for contrast. So it's super useful if you're building a website, because that's usually where people run into issues with their color contrast is when they build buttons on websites and other things like that. Yeah, that's awesome to know. That's a really practical tool. We'll have to link to that in the show notes. Anything else about images that I overlooked? No, I would say just be intentional about the images you choose and think about how everyone is going to interact with them, no matter the level of visual or cognitive ability that they have. Awesome. So let's talk about video, because just from my limited knowledge, I would assume captions are a big part of this. Uh, So tell me about what needs to be considered when you're going to publish or even create before you even create a video in order to better enable it for accessibility. So you definitely want to caption your videos, whether you're doing closed captions, which is what we typically see on YouTube, Netflix, streaming services. So you can turn those captions on and off based on your preferences, or you're adding open captions, which are burned onto a video in post-production and can't be turned off. So we typically see that on TikTok where not everyone has access to closed captions yet or uh, story features, that's where they're very popular. Cause again, not every story feature on the different platforms has access to captions yet. So open captions are kind of the go-to in those situations. Um, they just make it so that deaf and hard of hearing users can actually access the content. It's how you make your videos accessible. And it's probably the best practice that most people are most familiar with just because it's very visual for us. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tools you recommend for that rather than kind of manually captioning? Like what, which, which sites do you think do the best job? My favorite way to do closed captions is actually through YouTube. Everyone can have a YouTube channel, which is super convenient. And what I'll do is I'll upload a video to my channel as unlisted. So you can't search it, let YouTube take a little time to generate auto captions for it. And then I'll go in and I'll edit those auto captions. So they are accurate because they don't do punctuation or capitalization or anything like that. So, but they do all the hard work. When it comes to open captions, I use an app called Mix Captions. So it kind of does the same thing as YouTube. It analyzes the audio in your video and then produces auto captions, which you can then edit. So it's a really convenient app. It works really well. It's got a lot of versatility to it. So that's my favorite app to use for open captions. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't think to use YouTube for for that purpose. If you're not publishing there, having it unlisted, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's really convenient because I've used it before where I'm like, I don't want to publish this video. I just need the captions or I need the SRT file um, for a different platform. So you can download your SRT file from YouTube, which is a captions file, and use it if you upload your video directly to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, any platform that allows for that. So that's really a convenient way to use YouTube, even if you're not actively publishing videos there. 
Yeah, that's really smart. I haven't thought of that at all. Um, what else about video? Is there anything aside from captions that people should be cognizant of? Just the kind of content that you have. So if you are going to have a strobe effect or flashing lights, anything like that, you really want to make sure that you warn your audience before posting a video like that, just because we don't want to cause any seizures or discomfort for someone that's prone to something like that. Also, if you have non-speaking sounds in your video. So if a cat meows like mine did earlier or a doorbell rings or a phone rings, including that in your captions, because it would probably be important. Obviously in my case, we would ignore the cat meowing, <laughs> but if it's part of a scene in a TV show, something like that, you need to include that audio. It's really helpful to learn how to write good captions by actually turning the captions on for action movies, action shows. That's how I get a lot of my good ideas when it comes to captions, just because they're very particular about how they caption their content. Yeah, I love that example. And we've done an episode about empathy and marketing. And I feel like it ties in so much with this because it's literally just putting yourself in the shoes of so many different types of people who could be consuming this. And the kind of strobe light effect is a great example of that. Like you as the creator of the video might not think it's a big deal until you realize that it could be a very important aspect to someone yeah. who's watching. Plus captioning is just good marketing. I mean, we all heard the stat that 85% of internet users watch videos with sound off. Mm -hmm. I've watched videos with captions on all the time. It's just easier for me to consume visual information than audio information or people who are commuting or they have kids, you know, stuff like yeah. that. It's just, it's good marketing to put captioning on your videos. So let's talk about, and this, this topic kind of sucks because you would think that the buy-in you would need is just, this is the right thing to do, but uh, presumably people run into issues of spending a lot of time doing this, or they worry that you know, maybe it won't get approved. So what, what what advice do you give to people who are trying to get somebody to be like, yeah, spend your time making sure that all of this is accessible? Well, first and foremost, I always do kind of reach for that compassionate argument of it just makes us better people. Mm -hmm. We care about how our audience engages or doesn't engage with our content. If that argument doesn't work, I reach for the marketing argument, which is if we're making our content accessible, we are reaching more people, which is the whole point of being a marketer is making sure your message reaches as many people as possible. So if you add alt text to your images, more people can access that image. If you're captioning your video, more people can access that video. If that argument doesn't work, then I reach for the scary argument, which is someone could sue you. We are seeing more and more cases in courtrooms where it's this website was not accessible. This app was not accessible. We don't hear it so much about social media, but it is not unrealistic to believe that social media will soon fall under the same level of scrutiny when it comes to how accessible the content is. That's really interesting. And I like how you kind of have this tiered approach of yeah. how much do I have to dig into this in order to get the buy-in that I need? I just tell people that it's it's really better to be proactive about accessibility and not reactive because you got in trouble or you got called out. Um, it's, it's also just important to remember that 
accessibility is not more work. It's just making your work complete. You were missing a piece before. And when you make your content accessible, then the work is truly done. Mm, I really like that framing. How do you suggest that people are listening to this and they're like, oh my God, like I have so much I want to fix or I know social is kind of tricky because you'd have to just go back and you can't delete everything you've ever done and repost it. But especially if it's on your website, how do you recommend people approach that? Are there tools that are helpful to speed up, like not going forward, but kind of going back and revising some of the things that you've done? When it comes to remediation, basically, um, there are definitely tools out there. I use a website, I think it's called Web Aim. I'll have to look it up, where I will periodically check a website to see how accessible it actually is. Um, moving forward with like social content creation, just really building it into your process. It helps if you have it built into your social media policy and have legal approve that policy. Because then if you work for an institution where you get, you know, a lot of people sending you content, if they don't agree with your, you need to make this accessible statement, you can say, well, I have this policy and legal backed it up. That usually really helps, especially if you work in higher education. That's another good point about the proactive rather than the reactive, having these things set in place so you don't have to have this battle over and over again. Yes, definitely. So is there anything that I forgot? We talked about video, images, social posts, any other type of content. I know we we didn't really talk about just like straightforward text and making it more accessible. Is there anything there that you think is overlooked often? Uh, with copywriting, it's really just making sure that you are writing in a way that you're audience understands. So it's, it's a concept called plain writing or plain language. So you don't want to be talking over your audience. Obviously, if you're an institution that deals with healthcare or science or economics, things that have a lot of jargon in them, it's important that if you do use that jargon to say it also in a way that the average person who doesn't know that word or phrase you use understands. So, and I think that goes kind of back to your empathy statement where you really just want to make sure that you're reaching people and you understand where they're coming from when they uh, engage with your content. Yeah. That's, that's a relatable issue, even just within marketing, the number of acronyms that get used, the phrases yes. that people don't understand, and it can be uncomfortable, like on many levels to see that and not understand what it means. It's very alienating. Yes. Very. So that's a really good point. Um, anything else I forgot, Alexa? What, any other tips that you have for people? I would just say that when you create content, don't have one person in mind. You want to create content for an, a, a diverse audience. I know we all have target audiences, but your, ta- your target audience is diverse. There are people with varying backgrounds, different lived experiences, different levels of ability. And we need to be very conscious of that as content creators. Your target audience is diverse. I think that's the perfect note to end this on. Uh, Alexa, thank you so much for coming on the show. The last thing I ask everybody is knowing the objective of the show is to help out content folks. Who would you recommend to be guests on future episodes? Ooh, a good one um i have to go look at who you've actually had on (laughs) 
but there are some fantastic people out there. Um, I really love my friend Jade Powell. She is extraordinary. She is such a good example of building community and smart social media. Um, My friend Syed Ali is also an exceptional person when it comes to social media. He's got years of experience. Um, My partner in crime is Austin Braun at the University of Colorado Boulder. So he's with the engineering school. So he's just really, really good when it comes to tone and persona for brands. Awesome. Thank you so much for those recommendations. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing these tips with everyone. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. If you've listened to this and want even more tips, sign up for our podcast newsletter by going to the podcast page on the Fractal website. And if you've learned anything from this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Finally, if you have feedback, suggestions, ideas, pescatarian recipes, or anything you'd like to share with me, shoot me an email at amanda at frac.tl. I'm a shameless extrovert who would love to hear from you. Thank you to Sean Kelly for podcast music and editing and to Joao Pereira for logo design. And thank you, dear listener. I hope you'll join us next time.